Um, our passage today comes from, again, uh, the, the time when the people of God were privileged by God to allow uh, a sanctuary to be built. You might remember the story that that David, a man after God's own heart, had wanted so much to build a place where the people of God could gather in the presence of God and worship, right? And worship. Uh, but God, God would not allow him to do it. And David was a man after God's own heart, but he was a broken, a broken individual. And, and God who did not, uh, did not turn away from David's sins, God who held David accountable in ways more painful than you and I can imagine, um, did grace David by allowing his son Solomon to build him a place, to build him a temple. So we pick up that story in Second Chronicles. David, or excuse me, Solomon has, um, is called all of Israel together to dedicate the temple. It's been going on for a couple chapters by the time we pick up the story in Second Chronicles 7, 1. But Solomon has just prayed. Look at, look at verse 41 of chapter 6. And now arise, O Lord God, that's the name Yahweh, God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Let, let those who carry the word of God, that's, I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about all of us, right? Those who intercede for their community, right? Be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. Oh Lord, do not turn away from the face of your anointed. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. And as soon, 7 verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, And the glory of the Lord on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped. And gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now slip over a couple verses to verse 11 if you would. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, this is so beautiful, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice Look carefully, brothers and sisters. When I shut up the heavens, not if, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence on my people, sound familiar? 
when I do these things, God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The very word of God. Mm, Thank you, God. Well, again, I know that this is a familiar passage. And as always, I warn you, when we look at familiar passages, because it's so easy, you could probably fill out, if you choose to, the outline in your bulletin right now without me saying a word, because, because the scripture is so clear. But I'm going to believe that God's word never returns to him void. I'm going to believe that there's something beautiful that happens when we speak it to one another, right? There's something beautiful that happens when we read it ourselves. But there's something beautiful that happens when we speak God's word together as well. And I'm going to trust his Holy Spirit to do a work in us, to change us, right? To transform us. If we leave this place the same as we came in, then then uh, God's word has had no effect on us. But God's word is living and active. Amen? Sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It's ready to accomplish God's purposes for our lives. So pray with me one more time. God, do that miracle again, would you? And take these words on a page and make them the living word of God. Speak to each of us, God, exactly as we need to be spoken to. For those who desperate this morning for comfort, I pray comfort. For those of us who might be complacent, God, I pray conviction. I pray that you would speak to us about areas of our lives that are out of alignment with your purposes. But God, for all of us, I pray that your word would find good soil, that it would germinate, that it would that it would grow, that it would bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. For I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been having a lot of fun um, at the beginning of the new year. I shared with you last week that I just love new beginnings, and, and I'll take any artificial new beginning I can get, even a simple Gregorian calendar change, um, a sunrise, a, a Sunday morning. I, I I just love it because it gives me a new opportunity. I am I'm blessed um, with with the ability to receive grace, right? To receive forgiveness, and 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 I, I just want to I just want to offer that to you in this coming year. This is not a time of condemnation. There is no help me condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. There's not, so so it's a time of invitation, a time to. Uh, move from glory to glory, a time to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds into the very image of Jesus. The problem, the problem is that, that 
it's hard for me to change myself. I mean, I'm talking about simple stuff, like resisting chocolate, right? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about very simple stuff. Uh, I find, I find myself slipping back into negative patterns. So how, how in the world am I going to be an instrument in God's hands to, to transform the world, right? If I can't even change myself. That reminds me of that, that quote by, by Tolstoy, right? Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself, right? Everybody wants change, right? But nobody wants to be changed. Who is it? Uh, I think it was T.S. Eliot. He was, he was asked, what is, what is wrong with the world? And he thought for just a second and he said just two words, I am, right? I am, I am wrong with the world. That's the problem. It starts, T.S. Eliot was saying, with me. No one wants to be changed himself, Tolstoy said, but it has to start with us. That's why it's so fascinating to read this passage. Now again, I'm going to try and translate this. This was 1,000 years before Christ, right? This is the time of Solomon, 1,000 years before Christ. In that time, God did not take up residence in human hearts, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. It It alighted on people for a season to accomplish God's purpose, but it was not a permanent possession of people. That came with Christ. But I want you to be thinking, as we think about the temple a thousand years before Christ, I want you to be thinking in the back of your minds, where is the temple now, right? Well, it's right here, isn't it? No. Where is it? Yeah. Yeah, we are the temple of the living God, right? And so the promises that, that God gave Solomon, in a sense, foretell the promises that we can claim, that we can live right now. We, 1 Corinthians 6 says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so how do we begin this process of change? It's as simple as making a resolution. No, he said last week, 70% of resolutions are, are lost within the first two weeks, right? And I celebrated with you. That means 30% of change does happen, but, but it's not going to come from act of human will, right? It's, it's not going to happen just because we want to will it as much as we want it. Um, no, it's got to happen some different ways. Listen to the Word of God now as it talks about the subjects of transformation. Where is world transformation begin? God says, if my people who are called by my name, right? The promise of transformation applies to those who are God's people. It begins with us. It's really tempting, isn't it? And all the challenges that we're facing, and there are myriad challenges. Again, I, I don't want to overspeak, but it just seems like in in my six decades, I've never seen a time like this where we were being fronted on so many areas, so many fronts where we're being challenged in our faith, right? Uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we're being, we're being challenged. Where does transformation begin? God says it's not going to begin out there. It's not going to begin with some kind of social reform. It's not going to begin with some political uh, um, machinations, right? It's not going to begin by the will of people. God says it's going to begin with his people. If my 
people. And you say, well, who are his people? Is he talking about um, the Israelites? Well, yes, a thousand years before Christ, he is, right? But the whole purpose of the Israelites was to bless all the nations, right? The whole purpose of the word of God coming through the Israelites was to bless all generations. When Christ came and 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 maybe fulfilled then when the Holy Spirit came, now all of a sudden anyone is able to be one of God's people. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is able to um, become God's person. And so, so what is your primary identity? I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a husband. I, I love that identity, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm, you, can, you can see what's coming, can't you? I'm a father. I love that identity. It's great to have uh, one of my daughters here in, uh, in the sanctuary, uh, today. I love being a grandpa, right? Papa, first thing the enemy did when she came into the sanctuary this morning was shout across the sanctuary, right? Papa, I love that, right? The danger is I love that more than my true identity, right? What is my identity? I'm a Presbyterian, right? <laughs> God is going, oh, what am I going to do with you? No, no, I'm, I am a Christ one, right? I am his and he is mine. I am a Christian. And before any of those other identities, as precious as all of them, even the Presbyterian is to me, as, as, as precious as those are to me, my primary identity is that I, through faith in Jesus Christ, am his. I am a Christian. Now, that sounds like great news until you hear what the scripture, right? This is if my people... The subjects of transformation, the subjects of global transformation is us, right? It begins the house of God. It begins with us, God's people who are called by his name. Well, well, what are the conditions then? And this is going to be a little tricky here. I'm going to kind of hang myself out on a limb here because our, our great, um, our great Attribution to God is that is His unconditional love, right? Don't don't your hearts just resonate with that word unconditional love? Oops, Anne can see this coming here. She's giving me the grimace. Um, it's it's not unconditional, beloved. It's not unconditional. Uh, we are we know that even with Jesus Christ, right? His love is dependent on our. Trust in Jesus Christ. God loves the world, right? But that he loved him so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, right? It's conditional upon belief, right? And that conditions go back here even a thousand years before the time of Christ when God is anticipating that time when, when anyone, Jew, Gentile, anyone uh, could could be one of his people. He's, he says, there's some conditions, right? What are those conditions? I want to suggest to you that there's four here, right? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. 
God, I want to point out to you all the wrong that my neighbors are doing. I want to point out to you all the all the strange things that people of a different political persuasion uh, believe. I want to point out to you everybody else's sin. And God says, none of that, right? None of that. Dave, I'm going to begin with you. I'm going to begin with you. So what are these conditions? First, see your true condition, right? See your true condition. Tim Keller is one of my favorite authors and so many times he's been able to put into words things that that I just was trying to wrap my brain around. But he has a beautiful definition of the gospel. He says the gospel is this. It's going to be harsh, beloved. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Wow. Wow. So the first thing here about our true condition is we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever done. In other words, every time I start to feel pretty good about myself, getting this Christian thing down, right? Bam. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the roots of our brokenness are much deeper than we could ever understand. And and I think that's why Paul said, be careful. You, you who think you stand, right, lest you fall. Anybody ever stumbled? Anybody ever f- fallen, right? One of the beautiful things I shared with you last week, we got all those letters, 51 offenders in the jail, sent notes saying, you know, I'm so grateful for those four snickerdoodle cookies, right? So grateful for them. So grateful for them. Because people don't remember us. We make mistakes just like everybody else did, right? And the moment that we start to think that we don't make mistakes, right, is the moment that we've lost track of the grace of God. We've not lost it. We've lost awareness of the grace by which we take every breath. So there is no one, no one you ever lay eyes on who who is outside of the reach of of the grace of God, right? So so we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. And beloved, it wouldn't be sad if, if that was only the, the fullness of truth right there, right? Um, if we lived in that awareness alone. But the, the gospel uh, includes that, but also takes us further. At the very same time, we are more loved. We are more accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope, right? Because the opposite is also true. So many of us live in abject condemnation. Now, sometimes it's, it's, it's helped along by somebody in our life who's quick to point out, who's quick to point out all of our deficiencies, right? But most people I know are much harder on themselves than any other person. The greatest thing to overcome is our own condemnation. That's why it's such a beautiful gospel that because of what Christ did, his death on the cross makes a way for me to be in right relationship with God. And all that love that he spoke of in John three sixteen, God so loved the world, all that love now has a path. All that acceptance now has a path. 
Does it mean there's no conditions? No, we just said there there are. But but there is a path for us, beloved, now. Jesus Christ has made the way. So, so what are the conditions? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will come to that place, as we sang a few moments ago, where they, they receive and believe their need for Jesus Christ, right? Then they've begun this journey of transformation. But he, but he continued. There comes a time when we have to articulate to God, right? Where we have to articulate our needs as well. And, and, and all of that, we, we say that by saying pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And I want to just challenge you. This whole series, we're reminding ourselves. We want to pray extraordinary prayers, right? We want to pray extraordinary prayers. And what I mean by extraordinary prayers is, is a couple of different senses. First of all, unusually great. I want to, I want to pray great prayers. I want to believe that the prayers that I pray in my prayer closet, the prayers that I pray in my office, the prayers that I pray in my office, in my car can, can transform things in China, can transform things in North Korea can transform things across the globe, right? I'm going to believe that the scope of my prayers is is through Jesus Christ is unusually great. I'm going to I'm going to believe that God never grows tired of me talking to Him. That I'm going to believe that this, the scope of my prayers is is accented by the frequency of my prayers that god never tires of me coming to him and say and i, and I do this oh god you got to be so tired of hearing me confess my sin again god i must have reached the end of your patience right god i've been asking so long and i'm thinking of something right now for this prayer to be answered right and and it has been Forty-some years, God, that that prayer has not been answered. But I'm going to believe that that you still do not grow tired of me asking it. I'm going to keep banging on the door, God, until until in your perfect timing you open it. So it's not it's unusually great in scope, but it's also unusually great in frequency. And I'm going to believe I'm going to believe God that that that. I can pray with increased fervency as well. We sang earlier today the Gloria Patri. Was that new for anybody? Was that was that song new for some? Yeah, several of you. It's new for it. That's why I had Chris sing it through. Did that take some of you back? Wow. We wanted that to be a part of your worship because for generations, people in response to what God has done, have cried out, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, right? As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. You're the same God yesterday, today, and forever, world without end. Amen, right? Um, we wanted you to know that song because saints have sung that song for generations out of a fervent heart of worship. I love about different people that God has put in my life is their fervency for the Lord. I don't want to call them out, but 
if you start thinking through followers of Jesus in your life, you'll, you're, you'll start to realize some of them just love the Lord with a fervency that I only long for. I want to pray extraordinarily fervent prayers, not because if I just get more passionate about it, somehow God will answer it. Then, okay, now you reach the, the threshold. Do you remember in Mexico, we would we would be praying with our, our, our Mexican brothers and sisters, and oftentimes we had no idea what they were praying. They might have been praying that we would leave. I'm not sure. But... But they were fervent in it. They were fervent in it. Do you remember the first time that you encountered someone? The fervency comes from the belief that God is able to do what we ask, right? Oh, I want to pray. Fervent prayers, right? So, so in a sense, extraordinary prayers are prayers that are unusually great in scope and frequency and and fervency but i want to i want to i don't want to contradict that but i also want to say uh, that there's another access point here and that's in another sense it just mean one step beyond ordinary right i'm just going to take one more step in my my the spiritual discipline of prayer i want to i want to i want to grow one step closer. So it's so it's one step beyond ordinary, right? Extra ordinary. It's just one step beyond whatever your ordinary has become. Now here's the deal. When you do this for a, a while, when you have a long obedience in the same direction, then then your increased uh you know, your extraordinary now becomes the ordinary, right? And God invites you to another step. Just ask any any follower of Jesus who is has followed for for many years, and and they will tell you, right? There's never a time when, when God becomes ordinary, right? He is infinite, right? And 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 the more time we spend with Him, the more we discover how much more there is to learn. So so, um, I've been privileged. To, I haven't done the math, but I've been privileged to follow Jesus for for well almost almost fifty years now, right? But I still feel like a kid in the candy store, right? I still feel like there's so much more for me. So I want to pray extraordinary prayers in scope and frequency and fervency, but I also want to just take one baby step further than I was last year. I want to, I want to humble myself and I want to pray. Then there's this beautiful, this beautiful invitation. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it to you as seek to live Quorum Deo. Quorum Deo simply means uh, before the face of God. Before the face of God. Uh, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, right? What does it mean to live Quorum Deo? It means to live in the presence of God. To say that every moment of every day that you live, you're living before the face of God. You are in the presence of God, right? I love that. We saw that in the Christmas story, the angel saying, you know, I stand in the presence of God. You, yes, you'll stand in workplaces. You'll stand in your families. You'll stand with those who are grieving. You'll stand with people. But but at the very same time, you can stand in the presence of God. At the very same time, you can live under the authority of God, right? You can live under the authority of God. When I'm in the face of God, I know who my master is, right? 
And I, I live under his authority. I want to say under. I want to emphasize that. Under his authority. I don't live by my own authority. I live by his. The living before the face of God also means I'm going to live to the glory of God. My life is going to become a Gloria Patri. Gloria Patri, by the way, is just glory to the Father, right? My life is going to live for the glory of God. Humble themselves and seek and, and pray. Seek my face. Don't miss this last one, beloved. Turn from your sin. Do you see how that's different than simply confess your sin? So many times I've caught myself confessing my sin again and again. I get a little frustrated with myself, actually. I, I'm, and and I've, I've watched as beloved brothers and sisters give up, right? They, give, they, they keep doing what they know breaks the heart of God, and finally they just give up. It's easier to drop the expectation that I can somehow please God. But I think a part of it is because we miss this part. It's not just confess your sin. It's turn from your sin. It's turn from your sin. And you would think that, that, that wanting to not sin before a great and glorious God would be enough motivation, but, but I've, I've discovered um, that I can take God for granted. The, the ones I can't take for granted are my brothers, right? And I say that I'm a man, so the ones I can't take for granted are my brothers because my brothers will ask me, you know, how are you doing, Dave? in the sin that you said you wanted to leave behind, right? The ones that will help me turn from my sin are my brothers who love the Lord and who love me enough to risk relationship with me by calling me out. And, and if that sounds like a frightening thing to you, um, it's not because it's done in love, right? It's done in love. So I have at least three different Groups of men that I meet with that that invite me into a deeper relationship with Jesus, who invite me to turn from my sin. Well, if you think about it, the four conditions here in in Second Chronicles seven fourteen kind of form a progression. I don't think you'll ever pray with any fervency until you really understand your true condition before God, right? I don't know that you'll ever seek God's face until you begin to get serious about communicating with God, right? I don't know if you'll ever turn from your wicked ways until God becomes all important in your life. Humility leads to prayer. Prayer leads to seeking God's face. Seeking God's face leads to turning from our wicked ways. The conditions of transformation real quickly, don't miss, don't miss the beauty of the results of transformation, right? We need to think carefully about this because it's so easy to turn Second Chronicles 7.14 into a, a formula. If you just do this and do that, then this will happen. And, and certainly the verses lay out a plan for us to follow. But just as there is power in the word if, if my people, right? There is power in the word then, right? Then. 
The word then encourages us to believe that our crying out to the Lord will never be in vain. Beloved, your tears are not in vain. Your burden is not in vain. Your sadness and grief is not in vain. Your desperation is not in vain. Your prayers are not in vain. Perhaps, worship team, if you'll come up, perhaps we can say it in this way. When we are so dissatisfied with the status quo that we cry out to God for help, the answer will indeed come from heaven and things will begin to change. We just know we we must not limit God as to the how or the when. He is still sovereign over our lives and he does whatever pleases him. Psalm 115, right? We must not dictate to the Lord about how the answer from heaven will come. He will answer in his own time, in his own way, according to his own will. Oh, but did you catch the assurance here? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Oh my goodness, we're out of time, but the story is just running through my mind now of, of beautiful situations where I, someone heard me. God says, I will hear you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting flashbacks of, of um, my wife telling me, you never listen to me either, right? Um, I have very selective hearing. It's a gift, really. It, God gives men, right? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have it out in the gym afterwards if anybody wants to go down there. Right? Hey, God says, I will hear. I will forgive. I will heal your land. So much more in that expression. But it includes the physical, emotional, and spiritual healing that you need. But it far transcends that. God, you say, what's wrong with America, right? God, why don't you do something about America, right? Well, God, why don't you? And God says, I, I am and I will. And you're it. Tag, you're it. God didn't say tag. You're it. But it's got to begin with your recognition that I hear you, that I will forgive you, and that I will heal you. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you. Thank you again for your word. God, at this conclusion of of one year and the beginning of another, would you just anchor us in the truths, God, that are in even such a short passage as this. We don't like to think of you being conditional, God, but we know that you're so passionate about our transformation that that you don't give us a pass when we won't honor you. But if we will humble ourselves 
if we will cry out to you, if we'll seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, God, then we'll become a part of the solution instead of the problem. God, thank you for your word. May it find fruitful soil in our hearts and bear much fruit. God, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're going to hear a very familiar tune, and you're going to immediately think, oh, my goodness, what are they doing, right? Um, but I want to just encourage you. Um, I'm, always, I'm always struck when I um, hear um, stories of how hymns were formed, right? A lot of times what they would do would be to, um, to write a poem and then put that poem to a familiar tune, right? Are you starting to recognize the tune? She's going to play it through one more time. But um, this year, right, let's live Coram Deo, right? This year, let's choose to, to not surrender to the pain and the brokenness, even of our own sin. But this new year, let's live for the glory of God and God alone. Let's believe the promise that not only will we be blessed, but everyone around us as well.